0: Welcome to Breaking Through, the podcast that explores the breakthroughs teams are making every day at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I'm Madeline Bell, the hospital's president and CEO. Today's episode is part of my new Breaking Through mini-series, Women Leading the Way. In this mini-series, you'll meet some of CHOP's amazing women scientists and hear about the remarkable breakthroughs they're making. You'll also learn about an exciting group of programs at CHOP that we call Frontier Programs. We started the Frontier Programs Initiative in 2015 to fast-track our scientists' most innovative ideas. Many of our Frontier Programs have made important breakthroughs, and my guests will share the stories behind some of these breakthroughs with you. My guest today is Dr. Susan Firth. In 2021, Dr. Firth was named CHOP's Chief Scientific Officer. She is the first woman in CHOP's 166-year history to hold this important role. Dr. Firth has been at CHOP since 2010 and served as Chief of the Division of Nephrology and Vice Chair of the Department of Pediatrics before becoming Chief Scientific Officer. She is a world-renowned researcher and has mentored many young scientists over the course of her career. I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Firth to Breaking Through. So, Sue, it's really great to be talking with you today, and it's a topic that I'm very interested in, which is the future of CHOP and science and research and discoveries. But I'd like to start to talk with you about your career. So tell me what led you to pursue a career in
1: science. It's a great question. First of all, I want to thank you for speaking today. It's such a great opportunity. I've been reading this book. It's called The Gene and Intimate History. And in that, they use this phrase about what makes a person who they are. It's a combination of genes, environment, luck, and chance. And for me, I think it was all of the above. I have a family that really am the third generation of a medical researcher. My grandfather did research on leukemia. He actually came to Philadelphia from Hungary and Czechoslovakia to do that. And then my father... Was a researcher and so that leads from genes to environment when i was growing up around the kitchen table everyone today because of vaccines knows what messenger rna is but my father he trained in medicine but he only ever did science and he got interested in science because of people learning about messenger rna and he used to quote us he was very proud of a paper that he wrote that the last line was because of messenger RNA, the dream of the gene becomes the reality of protein. So that was the environment piece. And then the luck piece, I think I I have a curiosity and really always wanted to know how things work. And so that really meshed with this environment of science. And my father was one of these folks who took home movies every birthday, every Christmas. and. We unearthed those a few years ago, and there was a little video of me when I was about eight at a birthday party, and I'd gotten a chemistry set, (laughs) and I must have really wanted the chemistry set because I was hugging the chemistry set and jumping up and down, and that joy in discovery as far as a career in science is something that stayed with me. About a year ago, I was looking at something, one of my mentees was showing me some new imaging techniques they had, and I was looking at it at home, and I showed it to my now adult daughter, and I was so excited about what it was and what it could mean for patients. And my daughter, the first thing she said was, mom, you're still that kid with the chemistry set. So I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky to have this opportunity and to be able to try to transmit that to the next generation of people doing science in pediatrics.
0: Well, you didn't have to look very far for a mentor or inspiration, which is so interesting, especially because I think you once told me that maybe your grandmother was a scientist as well. So exciting to hear that.
1: Yes, my grandmother, really unusual for her age. My grandmother and grandfather met in medical school in the 20s in Prague, in Czechoslovakia. Actually, when they came here and he came to do research, she came to go to the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania because it was one of the few places a woman could train in medicine. So I think that in the luck and chance, I also had role models from very early on that really women had a lot of choices in what they could do. And I don't think that was true for certainly the generation before me that wasn't true. I was very lucky to not feel like I couldn't have the choice of a science career or it wasn't something that women would do.
0: So we'll get back to that in a minute because I really want to talk with you about how you mentor women and how you bring along the next generation of women scientists. But let me say that you are now our chief scientific officer. So how exciting from that girl with the chemistry set (laughs) to the woman who is now the leader of our scientific community here at Chop. And tell me, you've been in the role now for about six months, and tell me a little bit about what your impressions are, what excites you about the role, and what do
1: you see for the next several years? It's a really exciting place to be and an exciting time in science. Since I've been at CHOP now for about 11 years, I knew what amazing talent we had. And the people who come here, just one is more impressive than the the next that you meet, it's truly remarkable. But what excites me is at CHOP, we are one of the leading children's hospitals in the world. And we have one of the very few research institutes totally dedicated to children. And with the talent that we have here, our sense of mission with research as our North Star, I think we have the opportunity to transform the medical care we deliver to children. I think we're on the cusp of many discoveries. The work we do, it has impact within our walls and outside our walls. Inside our walls, I'm most excited about our initiative in genomics and in gene and cellular therapies. We have learned so much about the gene and gene products and have new technologies that we're on the cusp of really using gene editing, gene therapies to cure previously untreatable diseases. That work in gene therapy also translates now to new methods of vaccine therapies, and we've seen how important that is in the impact on the pandemic. That translates from inside our walls to outside our walls. Our vaccine work has already had impact in public policy. We have researchers in the Research Institute working on violence prevention. We have researchers addressing disparities in access to health care and in the different treatments that we provide. And we have leaders influencing policy in the city and the state and nationally that will really impact child health broadly.
0: And to realize all of that, are there a few things that you're working on to expand the footprint of research here? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: CHOP is really a remarkable place and we already have some of the most exciting technology and wonderfully supportive research space. We're now in the process of planning and will shortly begin construction on another Schuylkill Avenue research building that will be next to the Roberts building. It will contain state-of-the-art research facilities, and we'll think of the Roberts Building and the Schuylkill Avenue Research Building next to it as really twin towers connecting wet lab research with dry lab research. When we describe research, often we think about that continuum from somebody working with test tubes, the traditional scientist you think about with the white coat and the safety goggles at the traditional research bench. You might remember from your chemistry class in high school, there were benches, and at the end of the bench, there was a sink, and people were working at the bench, and we call that the wet lab. Today, there are many discoveries at the wet lab where people are doing biochemistry or genomics and genetic sequencing that they're using patient samples, for example, to generate a lot of data, but then the interpretation of that data that's perhaps at a computer and working with colleagues who are informaticians and computer scientists and geneticists, that part happens in what we call the dry lab. So they're working in spaces where they have other tools but not the bench to do the research. And that will be particularly important as we enter into this next era of genomic medicine and omic discoveries because in addition to the work that's done at the bench, leveraging that large data with computational methods will help us with new discoveries for targeted therapies going forward. Can you tell us a little bit more about the exciting field of omics? So omics is a shorthand term for really the synthesis of data and information that we're getting from many new technologies. So if you go back to think about your biology class in middle school or high school, we learned about genes and DNA that makes up the structure of the genetic material that's in every cell. Our technology has developed so now we can sequence the entire genome, so that produces a tremendous amount of information. And that genome is like a library. And then there are little packets of information, think of them as the books coming out of the library. That's for example, messenger RNA. So a little bit of the code that gets transcribed and then that makes what people call the transcriptome. And so then that material, that transcription makes a protein. And now we can understand all the building blocks of the proteins and that's the proteome. So as you can imagine as I'm speaking, this generates a wealth of data, billions of data points. And then using new techniques like machine learning or artificial intelligence, we can look for patterns and understand which genes are turned on. And for example, if someone has a gene defect, what protein might be malfunctioning. And maybe with searching other large databases, there's a drug that someone has already discovered that could target that and be that protein or make up for that defective protein. And so the field of synthesizing all this information, leveraging all that big data for discovery is what we're calling the field of omics.
0: So you are our first woman to be a chief scientific officer here at CHOP. And one of the things that inspired me was that you talked about the importance of having more women as scientists, both here at CHOP and and nationally. And I would love to hear a little bit more about how you see bringing other women along and get them excited about a career in science.
1: I've been very fortunate to have wonderful role models and mentors that were both men and women. And I like to pay forward the things that they gave to me. And those things were encouraging me to take on stretch roles, to try things, to follow my passion, and to, sometimes when I thought I couldn't do something, to encourage me that I could. They saw things in me that I didn't always see. And for women in particular, I think we need to continue to do that. There aren't as many senior role models in leadership and science for women. And I think the more that we mentor others, we sponsor, young women and encourage them to raise their hand, to lean in, to try new things. Those are all things we can do to really promote diversity in science. And in this
0: podcast series, I'm going to be speaking with several women, which is so exciting for me. They are women who are leaders in our Frontier program. So can you help us understand,
1: you know, what are the Frontier programs? Why are they important to CHOP's future? Our Frontier programs are really a unique investment from the institution both from the research institute and from the clinical operations to bring the best science forward that can directly impact patient care. So each frontier program has a clinical portion, so it's heavily based at the bedside, addressing a particular clinical problem. And they're partnered with, and often the leaders are both, they're physician scientists. So they're seeing patients, recognizing problems, and then doing work at the bench that will inform that care. A terrific example is some of the cell-mediated therapies that we've done. For example, the CAR-T therapies were a frontier program. Some of the potential gene therapies that I'm speaking about to address blood disorders is another frontier program. So with these programs, we're really, in a short time frame, going to see tremendous impact on child health.
0: You and I spend a lot of time talking about exciting philanthropic gifts and how those gifts are a differentiator for CHOP. Could you talk a little bit about what philanthropy means for you and how it will help
1: advance our science? CHOP is one of the leading child health research institutes in the world. We are fortunate, our scientists are very prolific, very impactful, and well-funded by external funding, like the National Institutes of Health or foundations, but an additional 25 or 30 percent of the support that we have towards promoting science is from philanthropy, and it's crucial to what we do. There are things, many funding agencies are a little bit conservative. They want to invest in sure bets, and for many high-risk, high-reward opportunities, some of which, for example, the frontier programs that I mentioned, philanthropic investment can make an enormous difference. It's also hugely impactful in our ability to recruit the best talent in science and retain that talent by providing the best facilities that people can do the work that they're inspired to do. So philanthropy is key, and I'm enormously grateful to the people who have Opened their hearts and invested in the science that we do here,
0: we talked a little bit about your career journey, but you're also a mom and you know, balancing your scientific work with being a physician and seeing patients. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you balanced those different uh, priorities in your life.
1: It's not easy. I was very fortunate that I recently won a mentoring award at Penn for women, promoting uh, women in science. And one of my mentees said about balancing all those things in the letter that they wrote, it's not always easy, but she makes it look doable. So it is doable. I think you need support. It's about following your passion. And for me, One of the things, that was clear to me early on that I wanted to be a pediatrician because I was so inspired by children, and I tell people one of the greatest joys of my life is taking care of children, my own and other people's. And being able to bring those worlds together to model for my girls what they can be, that's been important to me, and I'm very fortunate to have supportive colleagues and supportive family that have helped facilitate this work. It is absolutely doable for people, and I want to model that. I think also for people listening, by raising your hand and leaning in to opportunities, you're showing others and the people behind you that we can do it, and we can do it together.
0: I really love that statement, that it's doable. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> <laughs> cuz it is a journey and it is a challenge for all of us. And I have to say I completely agree with you that working with children is what gets me up every morning. I always like to close by asking my guests about their personal breakthroughs. So Dr. Firth, could you tell me about your biggest breakthrough moment?
1: In science, I by training am a pediatric nephrologist and I was very fortunate early on in my career to Become a leader of a study. It's called the Chronic Kidney Disease in Children's Study. And it's a national cohort study where we follow children with kidney disease and see them every year as they grow up. And over the years, I'm so proud we, as a team, it's really been a collaborative effort. We've recruited over 2,000 children. And we have developed better methods to measure kidney disease. We understand some genetic contributions to disease that have illuminated potential targets for therapies. From what we've discovered, new trials have been initiated to try to slow kidney disease progression and really impact the outcomes for these children. And that collaborative effort, we're now in years 18 to 20, so it started uh, at the beginning of my research career and being able to bring those people together and now really change the lives for those children has been enormously impactful and a really point of pride for me.
0: That's all the time we have for today. Dr. Firth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. To find out how you can be part of tomorrow's breakthroughs at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, please visit chop.edu slash giving. To learn more about how our teams are transforming the future of healthcare, please visit innovation.chop.edu. At CHOP, we make breakthroughs every day. I'm Madeline Bell. Thank you for listening.